your average podcast. It's not a political show. It's a podcast about church culture and the culture at large, viewed through the lens of Scripture. It's the Richards Revelations podcast with Scott Richards. Here's your host, Scott Richards. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Scott Richards. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we try to live our lives just a little bit better, as we look at things through the lens of Scripture and then apply it to our life. I want to encourage you to share these podcasts with others. And if you're liking these podcasts, go ahead and hit the like icon and subscribe. If you'd like to participate in the ongoing production of this podcast, there's information below on how you can donate, if you're so inclined. Once again, I am truly thankful that you take the time to listen to these podcasts. Before we get into today's subject, I want to let you know that you can follow us on our Facebook page, Richard's Revelations Podcast, and most other social media platforms, including YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and so forth, under my name, Scott Richards. If you want to make it easier, try Scott Allen Richards. Allen spelt A-L-A-N. This week's episode, we're going to continue the discussion on Bible translations. Before we get into talking about a specific translation today, I want to continue the discussion on the process that is taken to get our English translations. Last week, we talked about the various people involved, the origins of the manuscripts, converting them over into English, what that process was. But now I want to talk about the process of the various methods that are used in the process of translating it into English, and which translations use what process. There's a difference between dynamic translation versus paraphrase. Now, dynamic equivalence, it's a method of biblical interpretation. It seeks to reproduce the original text of the scripture using modern language and expression to communicate the message of the Bible. There are two different categories on this. There's the limited equivalence, And there's the dynamic equivalence. Literal translations are word-for-word translations. They provide each word of the original with an equivalent English word as much as possible. So for literal translations, they seek what is called a, a formal equivalence. That's a philosophy, a translation that seeks to be faithful to the original Greek or Hebrew as close as possible. So examples of this would be the English Standard Version, the American Standard, the New American Standard, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the New Revised Standard Version, Revised Standard Version, and English Standard Version. Now, unlike word-for-word translations, which we just discussed, a thought-for-thought meaning-driven method of translation is used to achieve dynamic equivalence. There's also been terms like functional equivalent that's been applied to dynamic or thought-for-thought translations. Rather than aiming for an exact rendering of the text, the dynamic or even functional philosophy of translation focuses on continuing the broader meaning of the passage. Instead of focusing on a word-for-word equivalent in the translation, it seeks to get a thought or concept equivalent. But this method moves away from the word-for-word translation. It's much more like a paraphrase, like a loose commentary. We see this in the New International Reader's Version, known as the NARV, the Revised English Bible, the Good News Translation, the New Living Translation, and the Contemporary English Version. So literal translations make the original language more transparent, but they can sound awkward to modern ears. Dynamic translations make it easier for the modern Bible reader to read the Bible, but they may hide or even lose some of the ancient elements of the text. For example, Culture customs, 
word plays, illustrations, figures of speech. There's a third philosophy that seeks to combine the approach of these things, known as the optimal equivalence. This approach uses word-for-word, -word, literal translation whenever possible, and a thought-for-thought -thought dynamic translation when necessary. The proponents of this particular view of the translation believe that this is best because they think that it's more accurate and reliable. We can see this in the NIV, New International Version. The New English Translation, the Christian Standard Bible, and the New Century Bible. A simple way to check whether the translation of your Bible is more of a word-for-word, -word, formal equivalence, or a thought-for-thought, -thought, dynamic equivalence, is to turn to places like Luke 9.44. In this passage, Jesus predicts his betrayal and crucifixion. However, he prefaces his statement with a comment to the disciples. Here's the NIV. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. And then the verse continues on. Now here's the NASB, New American Standard, and it puts it like this. Let these words sink into your ears. The Greek in this passage literally says, let these words sink into your ears, as rendered by the New American Standard Bible. However, in English, we don't talk like that. What the NIV and other equivalence translations do is to phrase this statement with a more understandable English equivalent. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The thought-for-thought -thought translator translates for the English reader to easily understand while staying faithful to the meaning. The word-for-word -word translators is less concerned about how it sounds in English, prioritizing faithfulness to the form. There are certain word-for-word -word passages in the King James that simply don't make any sense, and frankly didn't make much sense in 1611 when they were originally translated either. Likewise, many thought-for-thought -thought translations push the line on interpretation and border on saying something the original author did not intend. A note must be said in regarding the King James Version and modern translations. The King James Bible is a fine translation, and no one should be faulted for using it. However, it is neither the best translation nor the most accurate. And to clarify, the King James Version of today is not the King James Version of 1611, as it has undergone a number of revisions. The vast majority of King James Bibles today were either in Oxford or Cambridge printing of a 1769 reprint. I'm also not saying that all translations are created equal. There exist some translations that distort, working not to be authentic to form or meaning, but rather a specific agenda by the translator. Works done by single individuals also often suffer from personal and theological bias, whether intended or unintended, and should therefore almost always be avoided. Committee translations with multiple individuals have an added benefit of accountability in weeding out any one individual's personal theological perspective or perceived bias from bleeding into the rendering of words, phrases, ideas, or concepts within the biblical text. Examples of translations done by single individuals include Moffat's The New Living Bible, Kenneth West's Expanded Translation, and the Berkeley New Testament, the Passion Translation, and the Mirror Bible, which we're going to dive into right now. Today we're going to be talking about 
the mirror translation. It's by Francois Dutoy. He started a church. And in the 80s, his teachings started drifting. He started to become unbiblical. He would leave aside repentance. He would leave aside the idea of sin. People in his church went to him and said, this is problematic. The church died, and ultimately he closed the church. He went off and became a New Age mysticism type of religion for years. And then after changing his religious beliefs and adopting a self-realization kind of religion, he then came back to, and I say this in quotes, Christianity. He's passed himself off as coming back to Christianity. But unlike others who may have strayed and have come back, there's a repenting process in it. And in that process, you get back in line with Scripture. This is not his definition of coming back to Christianity. And he started trying to change Christianity to fit his new religion. The Mirror Bible translation is his attempt to change the Bible into his New Age realism, self-realization. The real Bible conflicts with his beliefs, so he needs to change the Bible. The Bible says you have to be born again. The Bible says you're a sinner. It says that you're lost, you're in sin, that you deserve good judgment, and that Jesus is the way to be forgiven, to be put back in right relationship with God, and to have new life, to have eternal life. But those truths conflict with Francois Dutoy. So he has adapted the Bible so that it would agree with him. We're going to be looking at a couple passages, and we'll show you the differences of what the real Bible says and what his distorted version is. Let's look at John 1.12. Now, in these verses, I'm going to be reading the NASB. But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Notice the word become. They're going to become children of God. They're not already children of God. We're not born as children of God. We're born as children of wrath. We're born in the image of God, but we're not his children. We don't have that family-like bonding that comes through Christ as he's my father, as I become born again into the family of God through Christ. But his mirror translation can't tolerate that. So he changes John 1.12 to say this, everyone who realizes their association in him convinced that he is their original life and that his name defines them. God gives the assurance that they are indeed his offspring, begotten of him. He sanctions the legitimacy of their sonship. Notice this in his John one twelve. It is not something that has to happen to you so you can become a child of God. Instead, you're already a child of God. The big issue is that you come to a realization that you are already his child. That is your original life. He will go on later to say, you're originally the same as Jesus. From your first birth, your initial creation moment, you are as holy and righteous as Jesus. This is anti-gospel. We see in this realization of original life. His name defines you. This is just a weird way of saying that I'm going to deify mankind. Because when I say God, when I say Jesus, I'm describing me. Now in John 1.13, again, New American Standard, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the text here is speaking of just being born of God. 
But his verse, 13, he crams all of these new ideas into the text. He says this, These are the ones who discover their genesis in God beyond their natural conception. This is not about your blood lineage or whether we were wanted or unwanted children. This is about our God-begottenness. We are his dream come true, not an invention of our parents. You are indeed the greatest idea God has ever had. Now you can see actual distortion that is there. Let's look at John 3.3. The New American Standard says, Jesus responded and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now the Mirror Translation says, Jesus answered him empathetically. No one would even be able to recognize anything as coming from God's domain unless they are born from above to begin with. The very fact that it's possible to perceive that I am in union with God as a human being reveals mankind's genesis from above. What he's doing here is inverting Jesus' statement. Right now, you do not have eternal life. You need to be born again through faith in Christ, and you'll be saved. The Mirror Bible inverts this to say, right now, you already have eternal life. You do not need to be born again. You have to recognize that you already have eternal life. The fact that you can look at Jesus and that you can even say, hey, he's from God, it proves that you are also your Genesis from above. I'll do a couple more here. John 3, 7 states, Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The mirror says, Do not be surprised when I say to you, you couldn't be here in the flesh unless you got here from above. It's saying the fact that you physically exist is proof that you already that you are already born of the Spirit. You're already born again. It's the inversion of the truth of Scripture. It sounds nice. People like it. It's not just unbiblical in the universe of Scripture. It's anti-biblical. It's anti-gospel. It's the heresy that he's peddling. So now I want to look at John 3.18, New American Standard. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now the mirror translation says, Faith and not flesh defines you. In the persuasion of your authentic sonship, there is no separation or rejection. For someone to prefer not to embrace this is to remain under their own judgment, sustained by their futile efforts to define themselves through personal performance. In their stubborn unbelief, they reject what is revealed and redeemed in the name of the Son, begotten only of the Father, not the flesh. To Francois Dutoy, what's revealed and redeemed in the Son is that you are already just like Jesus. Now, we could go on and on and on. There are so many things like that. But the bottom line is, this is a translation that is not just watered down. It's an actual, complete difference. It's changing some of the basic foundational truths of God's Word. The fact that you must be born again. And his teachings and writings and so forth, and his website and stuff. This is the weird religious thinking that he has. And so he puts it in a book form and calls it a translation of the Bible. And this is what he uses in giving his messages and stuff. And this would definitely be considered a user-friendly to those who want to be able to live their life in such a way that doesn't require a recognition that they're a sinner 
and that they need to be redeemed, forgiven, born again. But for people that sincerely desire to follow Jesus Christ, to be a follower of Christ, to be a biblical Christian, to read and understand and get a grasp of God's word, to be able to apply it to their life, this is not a translation to be used. This is heresy. And so as we continue to go on, we're going to be looking at various translations in this small series that I discuss of translations. We're going to be looking at some other ones that are more prominent. Maybe you've never even heard of this translation here today, the Mirror Bible. But in the event that you ever come across it or see that someone you know has come across or has a copy and, and thinks it's a legit translation, stay away from it. But I'm going to be talking about some other translations that have worked their way into typical, normal Christianity of people that are seeking to follow God's Word. A couple of the ones that we're going to be looking at, for sure, is the Passion and the Message Bible. And then we'll see from there if we go into any of the other translations. But needless to say, the mirror translation is not in an authentic Bible translation. It is nowhere near, not even desiring to be accurate, faithful to the text, faithful to the manuscripts. And again, this is a clear example of a one man's writing of the Bible. And it's dangerous when one man decides that he's going to write a Bible. Well, that's going to do it for today. I want to thank you for your continued support when you listen to these podcasts. I know a lot of us live busy lives, and the fact that you spend some of it with me, I am truly grateful, and I appreciate it. So thank you for spending some time with me. Until next time, God bless you.